freedom 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 over fame freedom over cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives i am your host bruce anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcast and video podcasts subscribe share like comment and rate us you can find us on instagram youtube and twitch at unsolicited underscore perspectives on twitter and tiktok at unsolicited underscore per watch us live every thursday night 7 30 p.m eastern on youtube and twitch our audience continues to grow with each and every episode and i humbly thank you on today's episode, I'll be interviewing Dr. Danielle Thiessen. We're going to be talking about her work as an OBGYN and her work as an abortion rights activist. But first things first. So, right down the road, five, six miles away, the Right to Life protesters are on a national mall protesting abortion. And and we know that it basically turned overturned Roe versus Wade, gave the power back to the states. Some states, nothing really changed. In other states, like Texas, things have changed dramatically. And it's interesting um, how people look at abortion. I think there's a lot of disinformation out there about abortion, a lot of disinformation about the types of people that have abortions. You know, everybody thinks that there are all these poor people that are using abortion as a form of birth control. And I did some research. Abortion ain't cheap, like three hundred to three thousand dollars for an abortion. I don't know what poor people do, you know, but the poor people that I know don't have three hundred dollars a pop just to be going and abortions. And once again, those were the cheapest ones. And this idea that Planned Parenthood is just out there just giving away free abortions. No, that's not the case. If you go on Planned Parenthood's website, it costs like all of it costs. I understand certain people's positions when they say right to life. Like I get it. But this is not a black or white issue. There's major complexities that go along with a decision like that. And I'm of that personal belief that I really don't want you to decide what I can and cannot do with my life. Just as you wouldn't want me to decide what you can and cannot do with your life. Cause trust me, trust me. If I had the right to make people follow my rules, it'd be a lot of people out here upset in the world. Cause we're going to do things my way, but I don't want to push my, a thought process on other people. Like I always say, stealing it from Dan Lebertard, I'm not telling you what to think. I'm asking you what you like to think. And in this instance, I'm asking you to take blinders off. Stop looking at things from one perspective and realize that life gives you multiple perspectives and ways of looking at things. That's the one thing that my dad taught me. And, and I credit him for my former thinking. I remember one of the ways that my dad tried to teach me critical thinking is by reading newspaper articles. So I'm 
9, 10, 11, 12, all the way up to maybe 16. My dad is essentially assigning articles for me to read. And there would be instances where I know for a fact he believed exactly what I would, that I, what I believed. <laughs> he agreed with me, but he would still argue the other point. And his rationale was there are multiple perspectives that you must look at when you're looking at something. If two people get into an argument, there's one person's perspective. There's another person's perspective and somewhere in the middle is the truth. And somebody on the outside could see another perspective of that argument. So this debate about abortion, I don't think it's really ever going to go away because people are firm in their beliefs. Um, and I guess that's okay as long as it's informed, right? And you can believe what you want to believe, but just make sure that you don't try to put your beliefs onto me. Uh, like, I don't want to try and put my beliefs onto you. Just want to give you a different perspective, an unsolicited perspective. Nice little plug. You know how to tie that all in together? I did that on purpose. That's because I'm good at this. But, <laughs> but back to more serious issues. And I know how some people will use religion as uh, a means of saying, you know, abortion is wrong. Technically, there is no place in the Bible where it says abortion is wrong because abortion wasn't even around during that time, right? Like there's nothing in the, the closest thing that you have is Exodus. And Exodus says that don't do harm to a woman carrying a child or that person should be punished. But it's specifically talking about like a person doing harm to a person that caused her to lose her child. N not getting an abortion. So I would say that people need to follow the words of Jesus. And this is to those, to those super religious people. And by the way, I'm not attacking religious people. Like I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. Like this, this is not, this is not me attacking religion. I just want those people, especially those Christians. And I'm talking specifically to those hypocritical Christians. You know, the ones I'm talking about. Everybody knows that hypocritical Christian in the church, the one that is steadily judging other people, but not checking themselves for their own sins. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't Jesus say something about that in the book of Luke? I, th I think he said something like something about that. You know, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Those weren't his words. I'm using Rex and effects. Uh, oh, that was the Fushnikins. No, that was Das effects. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. He, Jesus didn't say that, but he basically said that, you know, worry about yourself. Don't worry about the next person. You're not God. So, okay. Then there's other people that have arguments that say, had the baby, give the baby up for adoption. Okay. All right. Does anybody know what the numbers are for kids that, are, that need to be adopted or kids that are in the foster care system? I did a little bit of research. Currently, there are a little bit under 500,000 kids that are in the foster care system. And a little roughly a, a hundred thousand of them are actually adoption, 
adoption, adoption ready, right? But if you look at the statistics of the kids actually like getting adopted after you turn nine, because the average age is around six, not, it's not very high. More than likely, these kids age out of the system, which means they turn 18, which means they're no longer the responsibility of the state. And then they're thrown out into the world, thrown out into the world, not like a person that had a family or or or, or people that took care of them. There, no place to go. So you often see that these kids that are that age out don't have the resources to have housing or to get a job, or to try and reach higher education. There's no programs for them. Or certain states have certain programs, but there's no national program, right? So for those people that say just have the baby and give it up for adoption, I'll tell you what. If you think that's a valid argument, start creating programs for those children that are in the foster care system and they need to be adopted right now, not only as they are in the system, but as they age out of the system. If you do that, okay, we can have a real discussion. But until that happens, we can't have any discussions because you're not really trying to fix any problem. You're just trying to force your views and what you think is right on other people. Now, like I said, Anybody going to tell me what I can do with my life? I'm going to do what I want. I'll pay the consequences later. My moral consequences. If they're morally wrong. But there's still a lot for me to learn. So this interview with Dr. Danny is going to hopefully open some eyes. Definitely answer some questions. And hopefully after watching this and listening to her, you'll have a better idea of what it's like for people that have to get pregnant and have to have that difficult choice of having an abortion. Hello. And I'm here with Dr. Danielle Matheson, who wants me to call her Dr. Danny. Dr. Danny, thank you for joining me today. I oh, really thank appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me and accommodating the uh, Hawaii time schedule. See, now, this is what you don't know about me. And people that know me know this. I want to move to Hawaii so bad. Honolulu, Waikiki, I went there one time. And I said, this is home. Like I went to, I went there and I was like, oh, I'm home. This is where I'm supposed to be. So I'm literally jealous that you're there enjoying that beautiful weather while it's 40 degrees yes, over here in DC. I will be going to the beach later today just to make you mad. <laughs> so, 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 so jealous. Okay. So Dr. Danny, could you tell me a little bit about what you do? I know you're OBGYN. What exactly does that mean? The closest thing I have to to understanding that from my perspective, because I don't have any kids, is Dr. Huxtable, but we can't mm -hmm. talk about him. So just tell me a little bit about what you do sure. and your background. Um, I'm from Texas. I was there my whole life. 
And then I did medical school there. So I became a doctor in Texas and then came to Hawaii for my OB-GYN training. Mm -hmm. So I'm still an OB-GYN trainee. Um, that's a little disclaimer is that I'm not okay. a board certified OB-GYN. I'm still at the beginning of my training, but all of my experience is my own. It's not necessarily from my institutions. Nothing that I'm saying is affiliated with my institutions. All opinions are my own. That's my little disclaimer. Um, but so, so OB-GYN, it's uh, obstetrics and gynecology. <laughs> so it's two different fields, all related to the reproductive system of people assigned female at birth. So what that means is if you have a problem with your uterus, your ovaries, your vagina, um, your vulva, so like the skin outside, that's our territory. Um, sometimes we dip our hands into okay. like breast surgery and breast cancer, but for the majority of the time, it's below the belly button, above the knees is kind of our, our uh, field of expertise. Field of expertise. Okay. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect of your job? Two delivering babies because that is the okay. it's the best day of somebody's life you're bringing new life into the world i have the privilege of holding a human for the first time even before their mother their birther holds them i'm holding them and that's just mind-blowing mm -hmm. um and then secondly is quite the opposite is having the privilege of being with someone on the worst day of their life, whether you're telling them there's something wrong with your pregnancy, mm. it's not going to make it. I'm so sorry. We're saying we found a cancer. It's too far gone. Mm. I'm so sorry. And not to say that that's the best, like, obviously it's terrible, but it's a privilege and it's not something that I think any of us take lightly that in our specialty, we are literally with people on the best and worst days of their life and get the privilege of walking that path with them. Okay, I'm about to detour a little bit from uh, some of the questions. And I have to ask personally, because my mom is a nurse. And so she's dealt with people dying. Right. And, and I don't know what it's like to be a first responder, somebody in the medical field, somebody that has to deal with both life and death. How do you deal with that emotion, the highs and the lows of, the, of being a, a part, with somebody on the best day of their life and then also the worst day? It's a lot of compartmentalizing and it's a lot of, you know, really trying to not take stuff home with you. But at the end of the day, some of these mm -hmm bad, bad case scenarios, you ultimately will take them home with you. And I think it's important to have a good support system. I know I came home the other day, just absolutely wrecked. And my husband was like, let me draw you a bath and make you a cup of tea because you need a minute. Um, and you need to take a minute. Good yeah, husband. Phenomenal. But sometimes you just have to take a minute for yourself and just be sad and wallow in the terrible things that happen yeah um what do you think are some of the most important things to consider 
when deciding a course of action regarding pregnancy? And what do you think is the most important piece of advice you can give to a pregnant woman? I think the most important advice is that it's a forever decision. Like everyone always makes the joke like, oh, it's only 18 years and then they're out of your life. Mm. That's not true. No. We all know that's not that's true. That's not true, yeah. Um, and if you put a baby up for adoption, that's something that even though you're not raising that child, that's something that will affect you for the rest of your life. If you get an abortion, even if that's a decision you're 1,000% sure of, there will always probably be 0.001% of you that's like, but what if? Um, and so it's yeah. just, you know, making these decisions. It's a financial decision. It's the biggest financial decision you'll ever make in your life is the choice to have a child or not. Multiple economic reports have proven that. Um, especially now, food is expensive. Eggs are expensive. Formula is expensive. And then you fast forward, college is expensive. Um, yes. Every year. Yeah. I saw a stat. I saw a stat somewhere and, and I'm not pulling it out of my butt, but I legitimately saw it. And it was a couple of years ago that when you decide to have a child, that's at least a $25,000 expense to your life mm -hmm. immediately. So if you're living check to check, you're about to be in the red because it's going to cost you $25,000 a year minimum to have a child and to it raise is. a child. And you know, even the pregnancy itself and giving birth, even with the best insurances, there are costs associated with that. And heaven forbid you have a complication and have to be yeah. hospitalized longer, or your child has a complication and has to be admitted to the NICU. Those are costs that you literally can't predict. Okay, so what you said the NICU, the neonatal what is, what intensive is care unit, it's where the sicker babies go. Okay, so like the babies, like premature babies? Yeah, is that if you're not... premature, if you have defects with any organ, if you're having trouble feeding, if you're having trouble um, gaining weight, that's a reason to go to the NICU. If you're having low blood sugar, high blood sugar, um, if you're withdrawing, if the baby is withdrawing from a substance, they'll go to the NICU for that as well. Um, and then any kind of anomaly, whether that's with their brain, their heart, their diaphragm, any organ really can get you a trip to the NICU as well. Oftentimes, um, just based on your gestational age, you could be completely healthy, but less than 32 weeks. So you'll go to the NICU. Mm. So that's interesting that uh, you bring up the NICU. I guess that leads me to my next point. Is there any advancements in your field that you're particularly really excited about? I, I would think that with technology, things are completely different than they were a decade ago, two decades ago, oh, okay. three decades ago. Um, so are there things that you're particularly really excited about and uh, that are progressing and advancing in your field? And how does that translate to those children, uh, those, those, those babies that are sent For to the sure. NICU unit? I think, you know, I was born at 30, three or 34 weeks gestation, which in the 90s was a big deal. That was early. Um, and now we have babies being born at 25, 26 weeks that go on 
and survive. And that just wasn't a thing before. And a lot of that is advancements in the medications that we can give the moms while they're still pregnant if we're anticipating that this baby will be born that early. And then additionally, the um, advancements in supporting the neonate once they're born. And that's something, you know, very humbling is how far that it's come. But then you get into these sticky situations where, okay, they're 21, 22 weeks. If we keep them pregnant another week, this fetus might survive, but it also might not. And then if it does survive, it might have, you know, terrible neurologic deficits or be blind or have problems with their lungs forever. So you start to tiptoe into these situations of it might or it might not. And if it does, how do we feel about that quality of life? So I learned something recently. It was in the last couple of years, learning a lot the last couple of years that everybody always assumes that it's nine months, right? But I've learned that it's quicker than 10 months. And that was basically learning when my parents met, when I was on the way and going to my birthday and doing the math, but it's closer to nine, it's closer to 10 months as opposed to nine months. So when you say 32 weeks, you're essentially saying mm -hmm. eight months. Yeah, so it's and and, so and wait, full so, a full gestation it, is like theoretically forty weeks, and we start the countdown from your last period, the first day of your last period. But theoretically, you're not actually getting pregnant until you're already two weeks pregnant. So I'll explain. So I'll explain. Okay. So your last period right. is January first. You're going to theoretically, if you're regular, ovulate January about 14th and you get pregnant during that ovulation. So let's say you have sex January 13th, the sperm hangs out, boom, you're pregnant January 14th. And that fetus is, or that embryo is one day old. But when you go to your doctor okay. and they date your pregnancy, it'll be based on your period. So you're not... There's no actual mm -hmm. embryo until two weeks. It, it's it's confusing. So when we say 40 weeks gestation, that's the full length of a pregnancy. That's counting from your period, but you weren't pregnant when you had your period. Okay. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. All right. Um, what advice would you give to people that are considering your field? Be ready to work long, hard hours, but that it mm -hmm. goes by really fast. Like I'll work a 24 hour shift and be like, oh, I'm not going to survive. And then I get to the end of it and I was like, oh, wow, we're done. Because it's just, you know, baby after baby being born, C-section after C-section, ER call after ER call. It's all back to back to back. And there's not a lot of sitting. Um, so it goes by fast. How in the world can you work 24 hours straight, hardly any rest, and get through Plan that ahead. day? You like start your day with hmm. a breakfast sandwich, and then our, our team is very big <laughs> on like getting a team lunch. So all of us ordering food together and trying to, trying is the emphasis to like 
eat lunch and order food together and then we get to dinner and it's kind of like go when you can there's a lot of caffeine involved um and then if you can sit at mm -hmm. your desk and close your eyes for five minutes that's okay take that win <laughs> um right but then sometimes you get woken up by an alarm bell so it's it's fleeting and just for my education like how many babies are being born in a day you're in hawaii so just on a typical day how many babies are being born i think at my main hospital specifically it's 10 to 20 but where i trained for medical Ooh. school it's closer to 30 to 40. um and then some smaller programs will be like five so it's very program and hospital dependent I think my personal maximum mm -hmm. in one day was 11. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. 11 people have the same birthday That's now <laughs> that I know of. So I want to talk a little bit about your work in your active and your activism. So what do you think are the most important, important issues women are facing who seek abortions? I think availability and affordability are going to be the two biggest things. And they kind of go hand in hand because, you know, in Texas, an abortion is not available. So, to make it available to you, you have to be able to afford to go outside of your home state. So get a plane ticket, get a car, get a hotel, um, take time off of work, find childcare for the children you probably already have, and go to another state. Or if you're in an abortion-friendly state, it's going to be not as much availability because they are legal and they're available and they're providers, but it's still the same thing. So if you have to take time off work, you have to pay for the abortion itself. It's not often covered. I don't think it's, it really depends on your insurance, but, um, it, yeah, that's, I, I, not to cut you off, but I think that's something that people out there really don't understand. There's a stigma attached to people that get abortions and the stigma, the stigmas are those poor people having all those kids getting all these abortions. We have to stop that. And I did some research and most of the time, the lowest cost for an abortion is about $300 and can go all the way up to three grand. I don't know a lot of poor people that's out there being able to just use just spend $300 like that anytime they get pregnant because they just don't want to have uh, the abortion. So I think a lot of people who don't understand those things realize that abortion it's ain't It's not. Cheap. And the Gutmasher Institute, which is like the leading statistician when it comes to abortion, have like year after year, the demographic of a person getting an abortion is married and already has children. It's not somebody who's using abortion as their primary birth control, which gets into the, you know, accessibility of birth control. Like if you want people to stop getting abortions, make birth control more accessible. Um, 
but instead they're out here banning abortions and birth control and making it more difficult to acquire. And it's, it disproportionately affects poor people or low socioeconomic status people because they cannot access abortion. Um, and that's when you get into, you know, people trying stuff at home or doing unsafe things because it's not cheap. Um, and a lot of people will have um, funds, like my program here has an abortion fund, so if a reproductive justice fund, so that if you cannot afford it, we're not going to deny you care. Um, we dip into that fund. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good to know. Um, <laughs> something that you said, it, I, I got to rewind. So... I know the current laws are, are stripping away abortion rights. You're saying they're also stripping away birth control? Not ne not necessarily like making birth control illegal, but ha some places are having it not be covered by insurance, which doesn't make it illegal, but it makes it really hard to get your hands on um, for right. sure. And then some like for teenagers, they'll be like, oh, we can't give teens birth control anymore without their parents' permission, which kind of violates HIPAA, I think. But um, it, it's not necessarily making birth control illegal. It's creating more barriers to access it, especially for teenagers. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. What are you think? What do you think are the most effective strategies when you're advocating for reproductive rights? All of them. I think every, I think every, I think I truly do believe that there are, there's space for every type of advocate. The advocate that is going at it from a legal perspective and saying that this is unconstitutional. The advocate that is a patient and saying, this is the horrible experience I had because of abortion bans. The advocate that is a doctor that is saying, these are the horrible things that I have experienced as a physician is also traumatizing when you're unable to provide care to your patient, when you know that you have that capability. Um, people who are just sharing their stories and then protests, flyers. It, I, it literally doesn't matter to me just as long as people are talking about it. And I think there's truly space for all of us, people on the ground, people on social media, people in the courthouse, there's space for everyone. And I think as long as people are talking about it and sharing their voices, that is what's effective because staying quiet isn't helping anybody. So right now, this weekend, right down the road, five, six miles away from me, the right to life are protesting on the national mall. And I will say that they're, their messaging hits a chord to people, even though it seems like they're lying. Like during the presidential, the 2016 presidential debate, former President Trump said that they are literally ripping out babies the day before uh, the baby is due. One, is that even close to true? It's not. What it? What are some of the later term abortions? Like at, at what point 
is it too late to have so it's very state specific but many times even the more advanced states um will have it be somewhere in the mid 20s so 25 26 27 28 um some people's states stop weeks weeks sorry Weeks of the pregnancy. Weeks of the pregnancy. Some people okay. will stop at viability, which is around that same time. Um, and I cannot stress enough that nobody's doing an abortion at 39 weeks. <laughs> That's not happening. Um, what might happen is if this, tr- so what, what that, what is that happening for? What are these later, later term, I put that in quotations, abortions happening for, um, it's when you had a normal pregnancy up until 28 weeks, and then you were getting a scan and they notice your baby had a stroke. Babies can have strokes. Babies can have strokes. Um, wow. and you I notice know that. that, or the, the doctor, the ultrasonographer notices that, and they, you know, hold your hand and say, I'm so sorry, but your baby's essentially brain dead in utero. So that is what the quote unquote late term abortions are happening for. And it's not happening at 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40 weeks. That is not happening. And oftentimes, you know, you can, there's the procedural surgical abortions, um, but there's also induction abortions where you just deliver the fetus. so I've known people who they, they know that their pregnancy has a lethal fetal anomaly. So at 20 weeks, I've had friends that just deliver their babies and just don't, there's, there's no care that you can provide to a 20 weeker. That's a not viable pregnancy, but that is technically an abortion. But to me, that isn't anything awful or bad. To me, that is love. Because rather than have a baby that is going to die a very painful death, you just deliver them before they'll, like, they'll never take a breath, essentially. Mm -hmm. And that is love. That is love. I don't know. That is love. What do you think are the most important factors that influence people's views on abortion? And what do you think the biggest misconceptions about abortion are? Obviously, we just talked about one. And, and, and it's not just the former president that I heard that from. I've literally heard people in my everyday life, sort of friend, friendish zone, like I know them and I converse acquaintances um, that, that have said some of those similar talking points. And I'm just like, well, that's not true. So. How one, you know, what are some other views that people have about abortion that just aren't true? And how do we change the messaging? How do we counteract the messaging from I'm not saying that all the people that are out in that uh, march that's going on right now for the right to life is spitting 
wrong facts. But how do we tell, how do we reach those people and tell them the truth about abortion? I think it's just education. I mean, not to say that these people are uneducated. I know very, very educated people that have that view of abortion. Um, but I think it's just actually sitting down and say, that's not what abortion is. Here is what abortion is. And here are some examples of what abortion is. You got pregnant from your boyfriend who you love very much. And then your boyfriend went on a drunken bender and beats the shit out of you. Can I say that? Beats the crap out of you. You want to. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be on YouTube, but I can, I can, I can, and then, I can take and now, it out. That's okay. And now you're you like, say shit. oh, shenanigans. This is not a person I want to be with anymore. I do not want to have any ties to this person anymore. That is an abortion. Mm -hmm. You and your husband have been trying for seven years. You're 43 years old. You finally get pregnant. You're so excited to be pregnant. And then you do genetic testing because you're advanced maternal age at 43 years old and you find out that your baby is basically going to be a vegetable because of a genetic abnormality that they have. That is an abortion. I didn't even know we had the science to do genetic testing on. Oh, yeah, we fetuses. do it. All, like literally everybody does it. You can either test the maternal blood, that's like a screening test, and it screens for genetic abnormalities. Mm -hmm. But if that screens positive, what you can offer people is a diagnostic test, which is where they sample the amniotic fluid, so the water bag around baby. When people say, oh, my water broke, we can mm -hmm. test that water mm -hmm. for genetic abnormalities. And that is a diagnostic test. So what happened with my pregnancy I had genetic screening that came out completely normal. And I thought I had a normal pregnancy. And then at 19 weeks, we had our anatomy scan and we found that my daughter had no brain structures. She, the part of her brain that she did have was falling into her spinal cord, which surely that can't be good. She had a hole in her spinal cord yeah. Her heart was malformed. She only had one kidney. What else? She had a list of things wrong with her. And so we did the same thing. We tested the amniotic fluid and confirmed that this is bad. But even, you know, regardless of whether her genetic testing came back normal or not, just based off her anatomy, that was not a viable pregnancy. She would have either died in my abdomen or I would have given birth to her and watched her die. Or the scariest one for me is we would have had six months together and then she would have died. And all of those six months would have been in the neonatal intensive care unit. One, thank you for sharing that story. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. With the current laws, if you were pregnant and going through that in Texas, what so that is happened? what happened, actually. That happened okay, in so Texas. that happened in Texas. We were not counseled on what we could do because 
the doctors mm-hmm. were afraid that that would be aiding and abetting me getting an abortion with them telling me what to do. So I left the doctor's office with Google, Dr. Google told me the nearest out of state clinic I could go to. And I called that clinic and they said, I'm sorry, we're full. And then I called the second closest clinic and they said, I'm sorry, we're full. The third closest clinic in another state said, okay, we can take you tomorrow. This and this is Texas. So doesn't it take like a day to even it drive the full day. length so of Texas? So we had to get on a plane. We had to buy a plane ticket and a hotel immediately and get to another state. And I just had to drop everything I was doing because that's when they could see me. And that was their availability. Do you hear that, people? Do you hear that? This is a traumatic event that's made more traumatic through the current laws in a rebel state. Now, I don't want to talk ill because I know that's your home state, but it's a rebel state. Like you shouldn't have had to go through through that. that. And I used to be so proud to be from Texas. I have freaking blue bonnets on my wall because I love Texas. I love my home. I love my family. The people in charge of it Mm -hmm. piss me off. And yeah, I used to be like, oh, I'm from Texas. And people be like, oh, that's so cool. You like the Cowboys? And now I say, oh, I'm from Texas. And people say, oh, I'm so sorry. I will say that that's still a better reaction than if somebody says I'm from Florida because <laughs> Florida is the worst. So you brought up educating. How can we educate people? Like, is it something I, we can't say that we could put it in the school system because they're, they're already banning books and, and anything that has to do with American history. So we can't teach the kids this. Uh, you would think in health class, like everybody took health class, and middle school or high school, like this would be something that we could educate people on, but they probably won't allow in the school system. So how can we get this education to the people, the people that actually want to be educated? That's the first question for those people that don't want to be educated. How can we even reach? I them? honestly think just talking about it because I've had many anti-choice. I don't call them pro-life. I call them anti-choice friends who Hmm. are so vehemently against abortion. And then I tell them stories of patient encounters, my own encounter, um, other people that I've met along this journey. And they go, huh, well, I never thought about it that way. Or, oh, well, that doesn't count. And I'm like, but yes, it does. Because if you ban one abortion, you're banning all abortions. And they say, oh, well, we can make an exception for that, or we can make an exception for that, but there's no law that they can write that can entail all of these exceptions that people who are anti-choice think are permissible. Like if a if the birther has cancer and they need cancer treatment that is not compatible with a pregnancy, people are like, oh, well, that one's okay. They have cancer. Well, unless you're going to put that word by word into a law that can be interpreted very differently person to person, 
there's nothing you can really do. They, they just need to stop banning them altogether because there's no law that's going to encompass mm -hmm. all of these minutia exceptions that even the anti-choice people think are permissible. Um, but so I think it's really just talking about it because the more you talk about it and the more that people realize that one in four women in their life will get an abortion, then I think people will say, oh, maybe I was wrong. And you don't need to give them a lecture. Mm. You just need to say, well, have you thought about it this way? Have you thought about it in this person's perspective? Because right now you're only thinking about it in your perspective. And in your perspective, if you had a child who had my daughter's lethal fetal anomalies, you can make the choice to carry through that pregnancy. And that is your choice. That is not necessarily my choice. Um, and that's the whole thing is that no one's going to force you to get an abortion. If you don't want, like abortions, don't get one. Don't stop other people right. from having them because of your beliefs. I think, I think that's a great way to end this interview because that was very poignant. It was on target. And if you want to understand the, the other side, take the blinders off and see the whole board and not just your point of view. I, I think that was very well said. Is there anything else that you would like to say before we uh, say farewell? That feel free to use my story, whoever's listening to this. And if it changes one person's mind, then it's worth it. That one, you just have to change one mind. And I always used to joke that, oh, if you could just get me in front of the president, I could change some minds. And then I got to talk to the president. Wait a minute, time out. Hold on. I thought we was going to end this and stop. Stop the presses. You met the I president. Met Which president? Back in October, I got to go to the White House and talk to him about abortion rights. Oh, my goodness. You met Joey Beans. Met, That's my nickname. For me and him are on a speaking level. I met Papa Joe. Pop because okay. if you start talking about Papa things, Joe? people will listen to you. And eventually more and more people mm -hmm. listen to you until a news channel says, hey, you want to talk to the president about this? And you say, okay. So what was that experience like? A fever dream? I don't know. It was hmm. just like, oh, we're going to do your hair and makeup. We're going to get you tested for COVID. And then you're going to sit down with the president. And I was like, excuse me? And then I, I get my little flashy card and then I talk to him. And then afterwards he puts my, his forehead on my forehead and says, your home state has been causing me trouble. And I'm like, yes, sir, me too. And I then he takes it. to his personal movie theater and to the Oval Office. And then he gives you a cookie in the Oval Office. And it was just, it was all, there were chocolate chip cookies in the Oval Office, by the way. That's that's fantastic. I was about to ask <laughs> what type of cookies were it and chocolate chip. Okay. Well, Dr. Danny, as you want me to call you, I appreciate you coming and sharing your story, talking about what you do and how we can be better and learn more about reproductive rights, abortion and everything. I can't thank you enough for joining and speaking with me. Uh, but 
I'll just say a big thank, thank you. you for having me, sir. It's, it's always a pleasure to speak about something so important to me. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Danielle Matheson. I know she called, I know she told me to call her Dr. Danny, but I got to give her real title out there. Um, she shared some really private stories that, hey, uh, it, it hit me here. And I hope for the audience, you can see that this is not just what she does for a living. This is, this is her life. She lived it. And I, I can't be more appreciative of her opening up and talking about something that was traumatic um, and using it to help teach you or inform you, not teach, inform of what's really going on out there. Because there is a lot of misinformation about abortion and, you know, it was kind of a joke when I brought up the former President Trump talking about ripping the babies. Um, you know, it's just not true. It's just not happening. And I've seen so many educated people say that. And I'm just like, where are you getting your information from? Are you even seeking an opposite opinion? And it's back to that original story I told you about my dad and the reason why I'm thankful that he showed me that there's multiple perspectives at looking at a situation and you can't have blinders on and you can't always think that you're right. You have to have the space personally to say, Hey, maybe I'm wrong about this. Let me listen to somebody else who has a differing opinion. If you find out, listening to that different opinion, if you truly opened up your mind and you listened to them, it really took in what they were saying. And you say to yourself, well, no, I, I still don't believe that. that. That Okay. Okay. Right. That is what it is. But if you didn't even give them the opportunity or if you gave an opportunity and it was only to combat them. And this was a situation where you were just stubborn and you didn't want to learn. And every, everything in life goes back to learning. We should be constantly learning. No matter how old you get, you can still learn something new. So, so I hope people heard Dr. Danny's story and heard a lot of what Dr. Danny is saying. Because contrary to a lot of people that just have opinions, she has facts. She has experiences. She's living it every day day to day and can tell you real life, not the talking heads that have opinions or the politicians who are using buzz and trigger words and phrases to rile you up, to get you angry because they're pointing you to an enemy. What they think is an enemy, but what is created is an enemy to make you angry. And it's all lies. Talk about being woke. It's being awakened. Why do you want to live in a world where you're not awakened? Where you're not evolving? Where you're not learning? I don't know. Maybe that's just me. 
and just a few people out there in the world that just that don't think they know everything. Don't get me wrong. There are times that I get up on my high horse and I stand at my little, my little top and I bust my shoulders out and I'm like, I know I'm right. Don't get me wrong. We all had that. I have people in my life that will humble me because I like to keep people in my life that are smarter than me because I like to constantly be learning. Typically, I would end the episode with a funny story back in the day with Bruce or something funny or something like that. Now nah, we're talking serious stuff here. So nothing funny is about this. Well, the former president talking about they just ripping babies out the womb. I don't even, And when he said it, when he said it. OK, all right. <laughs> Let's go there. When he said it during the debates, during the 2016 presidential debates, he talked about it like the doctor is literally putting his hands up the woman and just ripping and just ripping out the baby. And people believe that this is also the same man that told us we should be shooting up uh, cleaning products to, to combat COVID. Oh, oh. Sometimes I miss him. Sometimes I miss him because he is straight comedy. Uh, the, the, that four years for me personally and the people that defend him will say he did some good stuff. <laughs> okay. I'll say you make a deal with the devil. You don't change the devil. The devil changes you. But on that note, I want to thank you again for watching and listening to Unsolicited Perspectives. Until next time, I'm a holler. Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. Donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, Audi 5000. Freedom. Peace. Freedom. Freedom over fame. Freedom over fame, the cycle stays the same. Freedom, freedom over fame, freedom over fame.